This is episode 431, what I learned in 2020. Welcome to the Super Data Science Podcast. My name is Kirill Eremenko, data science coach and lifestyle entrepreneur. And each week we bring you inspiring people and ideas to help you build your successful career in data science. Thanks for being here today. And now let's make the complex simple. Welcome back to the Super Data Science Podcast, everybody. Super excited to have you back here on the show. This is the final episode of 2020. Happy festive season. And uh, I wish you an amazing 2021 so that a lot of fantastic things happen for you. And uh, today is also, interestingly enough, uh, the final episode that I am recording for this podcast. Uh, Why is that? Well, if you've been following along with the podcast, you will know that from 2020, one, uh, John Crone is uh, taking over as the host of the show. I know this uh, might come as a uh, <laughs> undesired change to some of uh, our listeners. To me, you might be not um, very prepared or excited about this. On the other hand, maybe <laughs> you are very excited and thinking, finally, Kirill is going to um, <laughs> stop talking and uh, give somebody else a chance. Um, in either case, uh, thank you so much for being here. And I can promise you that John is an amazing uh, data scientist. Uh, he is an experienced, much more experienced than me data scientist, and he's gonna do a fantastic job. He's also passionate about helping people, passionate about connecting with people and uh, bringing new conversations to the Super Data Science Podcast. So. Um, give him a chance. I'm sure you will not regret it. And uh, we've got some very exciting guests lined up for you uh, at the start of the year already. What is today's episode about? Well, for the past uh, four years, so this is the fourth time now, uh, I've been recording an episode at the very end of the year. Um, today is, just for your information, 25th December when I am recording this episode. So at the very end of the year, I record an episode with... Um, the learnings of the year for me. What is it that I learned? And mostly I record this for myself to kind of like recap what are the most important things I learned? Because throughout the year, you'll see that I share these five minute Friday episodes, which are predominantly about like psychology or spirituality, uh, things that I learned about myself, about how to be a better human, how to uh, have more empathy or uh, better connect with other people and and things like that, how to uh, have less conflict and like lots of things like that. And uh, there's quite a few of them. You'll see them throughout the year. Uh, but then once the year comes to an end, often when you have so many things, it's kind of like choice paralysis, but kind of memory paralysis is hard to remember everything and more, even more so apply everything. So I, I want to pick out the top seven and um, record them in this episode. So first of all, they will be more fresh in my mind going into the next year. Uh, also so that I can, whenever I feel the need, can come back and revisit this episode and uh, understand, oh, okay, what what did I learn in, in 2020 and uh, what can I now apply in my life? And also, of course, I want to share these things in case you're interested. This is all this episode is about. There's not gonna be any data science. 
So if you're not interested in, in this, then this is probably not the episode for you. But in case you are you are interested, maybe to recap, revisit some of the things that you may have heard previously in a 5-Minute Friday episode, um, most of the things will be that were already shared in a 5-Minute Friday episode. One of them won't, and that was not intentional. I just was so surprised that that learning will be the sixth learning that I actually hadn't shared in a 5-Minute Friday episode. Um, but anyway, so you might want to recap on some of those things, or maybe if you hadn't, you missed out on some Five Minute Friday episodes, you're just starting with the podcast, maybe some of these things will be helpful for you in your life too. So that's what this episode is about. And uh, without further ado, let's get started. Okay, so uh, top seven learnings. I've put them in an order, uh, unlike when you look at like movie reviews or uh, you know, like the top 10 uh, things uh, to do in your relationship or something, or like that that are ordered in reverse order. So you have to read through all of them to get to the last one. That's the most important one. I actually put them in the other order, in the in the opposite order. So the most important ones come first. And for me, how I see them, right? Like I sat down and thought, okay, which are the most, which at first I thought, what are my top three? What are my top five? Then what are my top seven? So if at any point you need to leave the podcast, you'll know that at least uh, you got them in order of importance. Again, that's the way I perceive them. You might have a different perception. We'll try to get through this in an hour. Usually these go much longer, uh, but let's see how we can go. Okay, here we go. So um, top number one top learning uh, for me this year was about back pain. That uh, a lot of the other learnings are very important. They're all important, uh, but they mostly have to do with psychology and uh, with uh, spirituality. Spirituality doesn't mean, I've, I've said this on podcast many times, but I'll repeat it again. It doesn't mean religion. It means understanding yourself better, becoming a better person, becoming more in touch with yourself. Um, so I encompass a lot of things under that, like conflict models, uh, relationship, uh, intelligence, things like that. Um, but this, so most of them are about um, th that area. So things to do with the mind. But this first learning, super important. Uh, one of the rarer type of learnings that have to do with the physical body. Um, around, when was this? October. So around the start of October, end of September. Um, oh, actually, no, this started way earlier. Around June, I started having... A bit of back pain. I uh, saw some chiropractors. It was kind of getting better, but not too much. But then um, in October, at the very beginning of October, I had to like lift some heavy suitcases. Uh, just basically, I was uh, moving around a little bit. And um, what happened is it, there was no like specific incident where something happened. Or, and also, I was doing some exercises, one of those online uh, with an online exercising uh, or like fitness training uh, program I was like jumping a bit um, and what happened is I started having more and more and more severe back pain uh, to the point where uh, one day I just couldn't bend down to tie my shoelaces that's how bad it was like I couldn't bend below so that my hands, as, as I was bending over, my hands would like not reach. I, like I, there was a point where I just stopped. Like I couldn't go further. And I, it was so funny, sad and funny at the same time. I tried for uh, five, maybe seven minutes to try my tie my shoelaces like this, like that, to bend my leg. I just couldn't. I had to 
just uh, tuck my shoelaces uh, in somehow and you know go walk like that. So that was a huge wake-up call. I uh, investigated that more, went to see. Um, even before that, I had already done an MRI, but then I saw a, a very cool chiropractor um, who was also who's also been on the podcast. Uh, that episode is number 412. It's a five-minute Friday episode with that chiropractor. Um, anyway, he did a full x-ray of the spine and uh, explained the whole situation. So the back pain wasn't just because of a one-off incident like lifting a suitcase or um, you know doing yoga or doing jumping or anything like that. It was actually because over the years, many years, I've been sitting for work. Uh, and what I do is I use my right hand on the mouse, on the trackpad. And then when I get tired with my left hand, I prop up my head. And your, your head weighs about three kilos. And so that um, has been causing me pain in my left scapula, in the top uh, left part of my back of the shoulder, uh, is somehow linked to my neck, but that's a whole different story. Also, what has, it has been doing is giving me slight scoliosis over the years, like over 10 or so years, uh, or maybe more. My back is now a little bit arched from, imagine from the bottom of the back, it goes, instead of straight up, it goes a bit to the right, there's a bit arched to the right and goes back left towards uh, the neck. And so what that does is your lower discs, like the L4, uh, what is it called? Um, L4, L5 uh, and S1, the discs between those vertebrae uh, at the bottom of the back, basically the load that comes onto them is not evenly distributed across the disc. So you have these discs between your spine vertebrae, and now, because the spine is slightly, ever so slightly uh, uh, crooked, now the left part of the disc has, for me, has more pressure um, than the right part of the disc. So it's hard, hard to kind of explain without a visual, but I think it kind of makes sense. So with that, uh, whenever you're doing an exercise, whenever you're jumping or you're lifting something, every single time, uh, the left part of the same vertebra, uh, same disc between vertebrae is experiencing more pressure than the right part. And eventually, boom, like what happens is like a protrusion or a, a hernia or something like that. And then that can press on uh, the spinal nerve and lots of problems can come from that. So, yeah, uh, long story short, uh, for me, I get, this is not medical advice. Everybody is different. So see your doctor about this if you need to, if you something of this resembles. It likely will resemble because according to uh, my chiropractor, 80% of people get this in their lives, lower back pain, and usually starts after 30 years old. I'm uh, right now 31, boom, <laughs> like, like clockwork. Um, and so the solution for me was standing desks. I started even before October, but in, uh, after seeing the chiropractors like in June, July, started trying it out, mixing, sitting, standing. But since October, I've only been standing. Very rarely do I sit for work, only if like I'm super tired or there's no other option or something else. Um, but now most of the time, like 95% of the time or 90 to 95% of the time, I stand for work. Like right now I'm recording this, I'm standing. Um, I, ha I make a makeshift standing desk or I uh, get one of those uh, standing desks you can get from Amazon, like a standalone standing desk or an extension standing desk that goes on top of your normal desk. Lots of ways to do it. Um, it really helps. For me anyway, it really helps because there's none of this like sluggishness and so on. And whenever I sit, even like for dinner or, or 
food like sitting is reserved for social things like going maybe one day after coronavirus going to a theater or uh maybe sitting for sitting down for dinner or like things that are really hard to do standing up like eating for example like even when i sit i focus to sit like a soldier like really arched back straight back not a slouched back um but yeah the main thing is uh standing there there's actually been studies where they insert like a needle into a person's um, disc between the vertebrae and measure the pressure on the disc. Uh, When you're lying down, it's the least pressure. When you're standing, it's the second least pressure. And when you're sitting, it's the highest pressure. So the highest pressure on your disc comes from sitting um, because you have not just your weight pushing down, but also you have that chair pushing you up from your hips. So you've got like double... Uh, the force from uh, now from both sides. And especially if you're sitting crooked, that's going to cause a long-term damage. So be careful with that. Standing is much better. Again, not medical advice, but according, from my experience, from what I've heard, a standing is much better. People can get used to a standing desk within three months of trying. So if you haven't tried it, maybe give it a go. See, uh, see if this is something that might work for you. And also, of course, consult with your medical practitioner. Uh, there are, of course, individual cases where that might not be the right solution. Um, yeah, it took me about exactly three months. And at the beginning, it's really uncomfortable, a bit painful, um, but then it gets better. Be careful. There's also, you, it's a good idea to get a standing mat for yourself because um, if you stand uh, without movement, like a mat encourages you to move more while standing. If you stand without movement, that can cause like... Um, Trombo- thrombosis or um, problems with veins in the legs. Um, so something is it, not to take lightly, something to research uh, before jumping straight into it. So that was my top learning, uh, probably because it caused a lot of physical pain and uh, fear. Um, right now, my back feels much better. Sometimes I get back pain, but again, that's when I am sitting for like an hour or more, like I started getting uh, back, a bit of back pain um, on my left. But that's something that will take time to cure. I'm really happy that I don't have that situation where I can't tie my shoelaces anymore. Okay, so that was learning number one. Let's move on to learning number two. Learning number two, one of the coolest learnings really uh, insightful. I was just explaining this to my father yesterday. Um, and uh, he uh, he was, <laughs> yeah, I can say he was quite impressed uh, with this uh, model and that, uh, that is, uh, I think, a testament to the, <laughs> the content because um, usually it's quite hard to uh, impress him with this sort of stuff. Anyway, so the model is called the Internal Conflicts model. model. It comes from this book, The Ever Transcending uh, Spirit by Tori Sato, who is recommended to me by my psychologist, um, the, <laughs> the lovely... Um, who is my psychologist? How could I, how could I forget that? Uh, Tracy Crossley, that's right. Uh, lovely Tracy Crossley, uh, who, let me just find what episode she was on. She was on the podcast as well, in case you want to hear uh, a bit from her. Let's see where that was. It was somewhere in the middle of this year, just going through these episodes. Mm-hmm. Okay, episode 357, if you want to hear from Tracy Crossley. Um, so she recommended me a book. It wasn't on the podcast, this was after, uh, like, months after um 
really cool book loved it especially if you just read the first three chapters you already get a lot of like really useful things from it i got a lot of useful things from it anyway so the main thing here the cause of all unhappiness or most of unhappiness stress sadness anger frustration irritation um all these bad things the most cause in most cases is internal conflict is not like somebody coming and pushing a button uh <laughs> on the back of your skull say that says okay this part like make uh, make kirill unhappy make kirill sad or something like that it's not it's not anything like that it's a it's something going inside and it's can be explained with this internal conflict model and what the model is all about is that expectations versus reality so imagine reality is like uh like a rectangle right so let's imagine just a rectangle uh that uh, on one on the left it has a component called uh your expectations or your wishes desires but we'll just call them expectations that's what you expect reality to be to have been to be or to be in the future that, that it is it has been it is or it will be in the future on the right of the rectangle you have um what reality actually is well what reality actually was is or will be in the future so that's um our kind of like perception of reality we have not just reality but we need to be fair and say that we always have an expectation and then also there is reality so this internal conflict model says that whenever your expectation matches reality matches what is let's talk about the current the present whether you're expecting from the present matches what is in the present then you have no conflict there is no internal conflict that's how it's defined and effectively what happens is that um you kind of content you're not thinking about it it's not um it's not really bothering you it's just things are happening like like you kind of forget about that that part of your life there's other areas where you have expectations and then there's reality now when what when does the conflict happen well the conflict and hence the negative emotions they happen when your expectation of reality is greater is better than what reality actually is so when the left part of the rectangle does not equal to the right part of the rectangle where they're different i'm not talking about the difference in size but the content so in the left you expect one thing but then on the right uh reality is delivering you something else that's worse uh in your opinion like for instance um we'll look at an example just now but let's say uh for example uh you want the weather to be sunny because you want to go um you know for a walk outside uh and then you wake up and the weather is raining right or it's uh it's windy or it's cold or something like that, and you can't go for your walk so uh what you were expecting was one thing reality is different so now you're upset or sad or angry frustrated whatever else um so that's how this internal conflict model works and there's only two ways there's only two ways to uh fear to stop experiencing stress or those ne- all those negative emotions uh and the first way is to bend reality to your will to change reality so that the left part the expectations will match reality so basically you you keep your expectations you change reality to match your expectations 
you get out a magic wand and you change the weather. Now it's sunny and you can go for your walk. Boom, reality's changed. No internal conflict model. No internal conflict, uh, internal uh, expectations match reality. Uh, on the other hand, the second option, because that's not always possible, right? Sometimes we can uh, change reality. We can, like, for instance, let's say you want to get a good grade. You expect you will get a good grade at university or at this thing that you're studying or you get a promotion or something. There are certain things in your control, right? You can study harder. You can work harder. You can um, really prepare, really dedicate time. You can change the reality. Like, you can't change reality in the past. Uh, you can change reality somewhat. You can influence reality in the present and the future. But often there are things that are still out of our control, like for instance, uh, with the weather, you can't just go and change the weather. Or even with the exam, you might have studied super hard, you might have prepared all, all you needed or even more, but then on the day, you just feel sick. Or on the day, um, you know, some, uh, like you have a headache or um, you, there's an emergency and you just can't even attend the exam. You have to go uh, somewhere else and be with somebody because of that emergency. So there are things that we're not, we're not able to control anyway. So then there's this second way of avoiding this internal conflict, or yeah, so resolving or get, getting rid of this internal conflict. Uh, and that is by simply accepting reality, right? So it's not, the first way is to keep your expectations, modify reality. The second way is to accept reality, modify your expectations. So whatever reality is, okay, it's raining outside if you now change your expectations, you let go of your expectations of it being sunny and you being able to walk or outside, um, then, and you accept reality for what it is, now your expectation will change. Your ex expectation now becomes the reality. It becomes like, oh, well, it's, uh, it's raining and there's nothing I can do about it. That's, that's what now, that's my new acceptance. That's my new expectation of reality that it's raining today. And then, boom, you don't have this, um, these negative emotions anymore because there is no more internal conflict. You've let go of your expectations and you've accepted reality, meaning that your new expectations match reality. The interesting thing about this theory, another interesting thing about this uh, internal conflict model is that it, it works both ways. It works for negative things. It also actually works for positive things. It, like whenever you feel emotional arousal, like whether it's negative, like what we talked about, frustration, anger, fear, uh, or, um, yeah, and all these negative emotions, anger and so on, or is it anger? Or it also works for positive emotional arousal. When you are feeling happy, uh, excited, um, super, super pumped about something, things like that. The reason for that emotional arousal is that reality, according to this model, is that reality is delivering a... Uh, is is better than what you were expecting. So you were expecting a certain thing from reality. For instance, let's say you woke up and you were expecting it to be, uh, you were like, uh, I expect it not to be raining uh, so I can go for my walk. Great. But then you wake up and it's not only not raining, but also it's not even cloudy and it's not windy and it, the weather is warm and it's like the perfect setup for your walk. It's not just a good setup, it's perfect setup. You're going to be like super excited. You're like, wow, this is even better than I imagined. How cool is that? I'm going to go for my walk and everything's going to be amazing. Um, so what happened there is that reality delivered um, a reality that is better than your expectation. Again, you have 
you have an internal conflict, it just leads to a positive outcome or like a, a positive emotion. And we often don't think about that a lot. Um, let's look at an example. This is an interesting example. I used this in the 5-Minute Friday episode. I will use it here again because I really like how it puts things into perspective. Uh, let's imagine just where we are, take a breath of air. It doesn't have to be a deep breath of air. This is not yoga meditation. Just a normal breath of air as you normally would. Okay, so now let's see how you feel. Did you feel super sad about that breath of air or angry, frustrated, irritated, unhappy? Probably not. Did you feel, on the other hand, super happy, excited, pumped, positive, uh, super grateful for that breath of air? Probably not as well. Why? Well, because you have an expectation we all have an expectation. Uh, it's a default expectation that we are entitled to have a breath of air. Moreover, the breath of air of the quality that you just breathed in, right? Because you're used to it. You've probably been breathing this air for the past few months, years, maybe decades. Um, depends on how long you've been living in that uh, city or house that you're in. Now, imagine that you are... So basically what happens is you're... Um, expectation of reality, having uh, like the right to breathe this quality air or the air of this exact quality or approximately this quality is matching uh, what is actually happening. You took that breath of air in. And so day to day, we take these breaths. We don't even think about it. It causes no internal conflict. There's no emotional arousal. It's just happening in the background. Now imagine you are right now taken uh, and transported with a teleportation device to some city where there's a lot of pollution, a lot of factories working, churning out uh, all the time, air is super polluted, um, and people still live there. And these cities exist. Um, imagine like you're transported there all of a sudden and you take a breath of air again there. What happens? Now you, you, you are forced to breathe this polluted air. You are um, offended, unhappy, uh, upset. You are confused. You are uh, <laughs> sad, uh, and all these like all these negative emotions come. Why is that? Well, because you have an expectation that you can uh, breathe that uh, air of the quality of where you were, let's say air of quality A, but now you are in a new place where you're breathing, uh, where the reality is that you're breathing air of quality B, and it's much worse. It's much worse than your expectation. So you have this internal conflict. Reality doesn't match your expectation and it's worse than your expectation, negative emotional arousal, all these negative feelings. Imagine you live there for, so next step, imagine you live there for six months. Eventually you'll get used to it, like people do who live there. Uh, you might be unhappy for a few days, a week, a month or so, but then <sighs> reality will take over. Reality always does take over. It's going to um, completely erase your previous expectations and you're going to be forced to accept the new reality. And thereby, your new expectation is that I am breathing this uh, quality of air, poor quality, quality B. Uh, that is your new expectation. It's, it's not great air. You understand it when you think about it. But there's nothing you can do about it. So your expectation is that. And reality delivers that. You're, you're breathing quality air, uh, air quality B. And there's not, there, there is no more internal conflict. What, you're, what you expect, air quality B, having been entitled to a, a breath of air of quality B is matching reality. 
So no internal conflict. You don't even think about it anymore. You just walk around breathing this air. You got other things to do. It's not causing any emotional arousal because there's no internal conflict. Now, let's say after those six months, boom, all of a sudden with teleportation, you're transported back to where you are right now. And you take your first breath of air and you're so inspired, so grateful, so excited, so pumped, so like alive. You feel, you feel so much positivity because, wow, how good is this air that you're breathing? Why is that? Well, what just happened is your expectation is to breathe air of quality B, the poor quality. But because you were teleported, now you, the reality is you're breathing air of quality A again. And so all of a sudden, reality is delivering something that is greater than your expectation. It doesn't, meet, it doesn't equate your expectation. Therefore, there's, and again, an internal conflict model. But because it's greater than what your expectation is, it's leading to positive emotional arousal and all these positive, amazing feelings. Very interesting. Because you just, in that scenario, you just took a breath of air that I asked you to take like five minutes ago at the start of this example. It's the same breath of air, but in the first case, it didn't mean anything to you, didn't give you any emotions at all. In the second case, it gave you all these positive emotions, all this amazing feeling. Guess what? Over time, you'll get used to it. Six months later, <laughs> you won't. That, that new reality will again um, take over, like uh, displace your expectation override your expectation and you, your new expectation will be of breathing quality air. Uh, a, move back to uh, this beginning scenario, uh, beginning of the scenario. And that's just a, also an illustration of like how humans adapt, right? We adapt over time, we might have expectations, but then reality kicks in and over time we adapt. You can see it as a good thing, as a bad thing, but it, that's what it is. Um, so bottom line here is that there will always be an emotional arousal, whether positive or negative, when expectation doesn't match reality. If expectation is less than reality, then there'll be positive emotional arousal. If expectation is greater than reality, there'll be negative emotional arousal. Um, some people, and that's also the difference between pessimists and optimists. Optimists have a lesser, tend to have a lesser expectation of reality, so they're usually very excited about reality, whereas pessimists usually have higher expectations of reality uh, than reality is, and then so they're usually unhappy about reality. Um, and uh, the answer here is not to just always like reduce your expectations to always be happy. That's kind of not <laughs> the point. It will work probably. But the answer here is um, what do we do in terms of which approach do we take? Do we take approach of bending reality to our expectations so that there's no difference between the two? Or do we take the approach of accepting reality and letting go of our expectations? The first one where you bend reality, you keep your expectations, you bend reality, you make it happen, you make it so the way you want it to be. Those are really like, uh, you know, go-getters, ambitious people, uh, control, controlling people, people control a lot. A great example is Monica from the TV show Friends. You know, one of her quotes is, rules are great. Rules allow us to have fun. You know, something that rules uh, allow us to have more fun. Um, she has some interesting quotes like that. Uh, so she tries to control everything so that uh, it matches, uh, the reality matches her expectation. 
uh, on the right side, so that's on the left of, of the spectrum, for example, if you take a spectrum. So somebody very controlling on the left. On the right, you have a Buddhist monk who just sits uh, somewhere in the mountains in, Thai, in Tibet or somewhere else, and they just accept everything. Or if training, training, I get wet. If it's uh, uh, if there's no food, I'll just eat one grain of rice. If even if I have that, if uh, you know, I get hurt, I get hurt. Uh, if I have something to do, I have. If I don't, I don't. Like they just basically accept everything that comes their way. That's the the uh, epitome of accepting reality. We are mortals, <laughs> mere mortals, as the book puts it. Uh, we we can't afford to just be Buddhist monks all the time in our lives as long as we still have desires. That's why Buddhists say, you know, abandon hope or, you know, like the desire. I think Buddhists say this part, the desire is like a source of all uh, suffering, something along those lines. As long as we have desires, as long as we have ambitions and goals and things that we want to accomplish in life, which, which are not bad things, right? D- depends on how you want to live your life. It's totally fair to do that. Uh, but as long as you have those, you can't let go of everything except reality in all cases. Sometimes you will need to make things happen. You will need to uh, go and and do stuff so that it, reality, you influence reality to the point you can uh, try trying or aiming to get an outcome that you want. So as long as we live that kind of life, we can't just let go of everything. But the question becomes like, to what extent do you let go of things? And in what situations do you control things? Where is it important to put in effort and go through stress and make it happen? And in which cases it's, it's okay, it's acceptable to you personally to let go of your expectations and just accept reality. And that, that's been a very interesting exploration for me. Um, whenever I feel, um, it's much easier to like work with this when you have emo- negative emotions because then you remember. When you have positive emotions, you can get carried away. You are feeling good after all. Like why would you apply this internal conflict model and try to get rid of your positive emotions as well? But that's ultimately what a Buddhist monk would do. They wouldn't just re- get rid of negative emotions. They would also get rid of positive emotions, as I understand it, because they want to have no internal conflict whatsoever and by no emotional arousal at all. They just want uh, to be completely um, at peace. That's what they're aiming for, not, not always happy. But anyway, so whenever you're having negative emotional arousal, like some negative feelings or positive emotional arousal, again, at the start, I think, at least for me, even if I focus just on the negative times, that's already a good start. Uh, just looking at those moments and seeing like, why am I feeling like this? Why am I unhappy right now? Why am I sad, frustrated, irritated, upset, or whatever else? Why am I experiencing what I'm experiencing? Um, uh, or, you know, like stress or irritation or whatever else. Asking myself, it's always, <laughs> according to this model, it's always, or I don't know, maybe there are some like one or 5% of the cases where it doesn't fit this model. I don't know. I haven't, I haven't encountered them. But let's say in 95% of the cases, it's going to be an internal conflict that's happening right now because I expect one thing and what is reality is something else. Or it can be actually, it can be something in the past. It can be like, I expected, I should have said this. I sh- oh, I forgot to say this to this person or I said it wrong. Now we're, you know, we're not friends or now uh, there's a problem or I should have done it differently. I'm expecting or my wish, my desire is that reality would have been different to what it was that's never possible to change right we don't have time machines you can't just go and and change that so that that's a lost cause right away uh or it can be about the future you can be thinking oh i really hope i really hope that um you know this person likes me or i really hope that uh i don't know my mom cooks 
curry for dinner or i really hope that um you know that whole weather example i really hope that um uh, i i can't even think of it, like that uh uh, my my arm heal like if you have a hurt arm like my arm heals better and I'll be able to use it as much as I was able to before like I'll be able to still play baseball or basketball or whatever else, um, and uh, and again and we're stressing about something in the future we want reality a certain way but uh, reality might deliver something else and we know that and thereby we have this internal conflict model so um, for me. The answer is, okay, I want to look at what am I, why am I feeling this negative feeling or positive feeling, but let's focus on negative for now. Why am I feeling this negative feeling? Where is the internal conflict? Like finding it, pinpointing it. It's really interesting. Like, a, like a, you can be like a detective uh, in your own mind. Like, where is this internal conflict? Aha, uh-huh, I expect this. This is what is happening now. Or this, this is what have had, had or what happened in the past. This is what will likely happen in the future. And it doesn't match what I expect. Okay, so, and then deciding for yourself, is this important enough for me to continue feeling stressed until I go and resolve it and and influence reality so that it becomes what I want it to be? Is it important? And there are some questions like that. Is it to do with your goals, your responsibilities at work or as a parent uh, or as a a significant other or as a child? Uh, It might be to do with just basically important things in your life that you value that are important to you then okay then you decide for yourself okay i'm con- going to continue going through this stress until i get it done until i i bend reality because it has to happen or if it's something not as important like going for a walk today or um i don't know like what you're going to eat for dinner or uh, i don't know like um something that's is not important, or you realize that is out of your control. Your arm's gonna heal the way it's gonna heal. Like unless there's something you can actually do about it, you might realize, well, there's nothing I can do about. It. I I can you know take these precautions, but beyond that, there's nothing else I can do about. It. Like realizing that it's not important, or it's nothing that can be done, not something that you can that something can be done about, and then just letting go of those expectations and accepting reality for what it is, for what it was, or for what it might be in the future. And that's the internal conflict model. And that's how also to address it and get uh, uh, rid of that internal conflict. I hope this this part was helpful. Uh, I really like this learning um, and it's been one of the recent learnings, a few months for me, and I love applying it. And hopefully it, you can uh, get something out of it too. Okay, so that was number two. Um, number three, what acceptance really means. So what acceptance really means um, often we hear that in a relationship you need to accept the other person uh, for who they are, and that's that's that. That uh, that's that's kind of like the preemphasis of a happy relationship. I I heard that I kind of got it, but never until this learning I understood. And this was thank you for to Tracy uh, for explaining it to me what it actually means. The way to look at it is if something irritates you in the other person, for example, they, they may be burp, they tell stupid jokes, they might be greedy, they might be forgetful, they might be easily triggered, they might not be good with kids, they might um, not be attentive enough, they might not be emotional, emotionally connected, uh, they might be distant, they might be a pathological liar, uh, they might be an occasional liar. They might be 
um, I don't know, not a good swimmer. They might not like dessert. They might um, really love watching Netflix and TV shows. Or they might not love watching Netflix and TV shows. They might read books uh, too much, too often. Maybe, maybe they don't read enough books in your perspective. Um, maybe, maybe they chew too loud. Whatever something, like there's going to be things you're going to like about a person. They're going to be things that you don't like and moreover that might irritate or trigger you about a person. And the, real, the reason for that is that we're all different. Even twins are different to a certain extent. You're never going to find an identical copy of yourself and how boring would that be? Even if you were like, and we're talking about, uh, in this case, let's talk about a relationship. In a relationship, if you're dating somebody who's an almost an identical copy of yourself, there's no variety in that. You can predict everything that's going to happen. You're going to get bored. So it actually... Um, there's a whole different story, you know, this whole getting bored thing and stuff like that, because like, according to spirituality, boredom is actually a, a, not a bad thing and there's nothing wrong with getting bored and, uh, and things like that. But let's just face reality as it is. You're never going to find an identical copy of yourself. Uh, there's always going to be differences between people, whether it's cultural differences, uh, differences in nature, uh, differences in... Uh, nurture, how you were brought up, and things like that. There's always going to be uh, certain differences. There are going to be things you like, and there are going to be things you're going to dislike. Um, and so when there's something that you come across that you dislike, what we often try to do is we often try to change the other person. We often try to influence them to change that behavior, to... Um, to become different, to become better, in our view, to become, to we want to make them a better person. Um, and you might tell them like outright, "Hey, this is annoying me. Can you please stop doing that? Can you please change who you are, uh, change this behavior, or change yeah, these words that you say, or whatever else?" Or you uh, can manipulate them into changing. You might like when. For example, when they're doing that behavior, you will give them like a, a glare or you'll get upset and, um, and then they have to go around guessing like what, what that was all about. Or you might, um, uh, when they're not doing, when they, when they, you know, doing the opposite of that behavior, you might like reward them with a smile or a kiss or be very attentive to them. So there's ways of doing it directly or indirectly and also subconsciously manipulating people into changing both are terrible <laughs> both are terrible equally terrible ways uh probably the second one is, is even even worse uh, because it's not direct um but they're terrible ways because none of that should happen there's only two things there's only two possibilities when you um are in a relationship with somebody and they're doing something that you don't like there's only two possibilities and both rest within you. It's not to do with the other person. It's totally to do with you. One of the possibilities is to accept it and learn to live with it. For instance, if your significant other is a loud chewer, there are people like that who chew very loud, not like whether with their mouth open or closed, but even like with their mouth closed, they chew just their jaw structure is such that they chew very loud and you can hear everything. So you can learn to accept that and learn to live with it. Or the second option 
is this behavior or this um, thing that you observe is a deal breaker. And in that case, you do not accept it and you break up with the other person. For instance, if they're a loud chewer and there's just no way you can accept it, it's going to frustrate you for the rest of your life, that's it. You, you don't accept it and uh, you break up. That's it. You cannot ask, you cannot expect the other person to change. Cloud chewing is a difficult example because you physically, some in most cases, I guess, you physically can't change that at all. But there are behaviors that you potentially a person could change, right? So for instance, they tell a lot of stupid jokes. You can either accept it or it's a deal breaker and you break up with them. You cannot say to the other person, it's not right to tell the other person, you should stop saying these stupid jokes. They're annoying me. They're frustrating. I get triggered when you say them. That's not on the other person. That's on you. You, It's your choice. Um, it's, it's not your choice. It's your feelings uh, that you need to take control of and understand and dig deeper and, and where they're coming from. What, what thing in your childhood made you... Uh, have this reaction to stupid jokes or have this lack of patience or uh, why exactly is it in that, what is it that is triggering you? And then you dig deeper into your own psychology and understand what is it that is so um, like triggering to you and why is it that way? And can you, can you change yourself to be with this other person? If you can, you will learn to accept and live with it. Or if you can't, then you, it'll be a deal breaker. Um, so some things are conventionally accepted to be deal breakers around the world. Some things are conventionally accepted to be that you can get used to. Um, I don't know, like for example, if somebody is, uh, uh, like if somebody doesn't put down the toilet seat after themselves, right? That is something you can get used to, right? In most cases for people in relationships, it's not a deal breaker, but still they try to change it. They try to convince the other person that they need to put down the toilet seat. And we'll get back to that in a second. But overall, it's something you can live with, right? You can just put it down yourself. Um, on the other hand, there's things that are conventionally accepted to be deal breakers. And that is, for instance, if a person is uh, unfaithful, if they uh, ha have a habit of going and sleeping with other people and cheating. Right, So in most cases, that is considered to be a deal breaker. Not in all cases. In some relationships, people learn to live and deal with that. And that's, that's, on, that's up to them. But in most cases, from what I've heard, from what I know, that's, that's considered to be a deal breaker. So in that case, you don't tolerate it. You don't learn to live with it. You just realize, well, that's, 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 that's who they are. Whether they change or will not, I don't know. But right, that's a deal breaker for me, and I can't be with a person like that. And, and that's and you leave. So, um, going back to this toilet seat example, or, or any one of these examples, the thing is that someone will only change, and this is the key here. Someone will only change what they do, who they are, how they behave, what they say the mannerisms and things like that. Someone will only change if it's in their best interest. If they want it for themselves, for their future, if they want, if they see that this will help them be a better person. If your spouse or your significant other 
understands that putting down the toilet seat is something they want to do. They want to learn. They want to, it'll be better for them. Not because of you. This is the key thing. Not because it'll satisfy you or it'll make you happier or it will uh, make their relationship better with you because you will be happier. No, it'll make them better in their view, even without you, even if you didn't exist in their life tomorrow, starting tomorrow, you don't exist in their life anymore. They still want to learn the habit of putting down the toilet seat. If that's the conviction they have, then they will work on it and they will change. If they do it, on the other hand, if they do it just for you, because you are asking them to change, you are either manipulating them into changing or just directly asking or telling them that this is what you want. If they're going to do it just for you, they might get it done. They might change a habit. But what will happen is they will resent you and then they will resent themselves for giving up for, or for changing, for, for becoming someone else for someone else. We're all individual humans. We're all equal. We all have a life to live. And it's not right for anybody to live that life a certain way because that pleases somebody else. That should, it should only be our decision based on what we want for ourselves. So be careful of this. When you ask someone else to change, when you ask or, or uh, influence someone else to change, you're playing with fire because they eventually will realize that they're not living their life. They're living a life that you want them to live, that you expect or that, that pleases you. And the more this happens, the more resentful they will get, the more towards, them, towards you or towards themselves. And that's how a lot of relationships, as I understand, actually fall apart. The, on the other hand, the more freedom you give to someone, the, the less you expect of them, the more you can deal with these issues in yourself, right? It's okay to go up to your um, uh, significant other and say that, hey, um, I love you. And just so you know, like when you leave the toilet seat up, uh, this is how I feel, but it's not on you. It's completely on me. I just wanted to, to let you know that uh, this, is a, this is a me thing. Uh, and I'm dealing with it, and I, I will, I will, um, you know, uh, understand. It's a learning for me. It's okay to share once, this uh, well, once in a while to share just like what you're going through. So there's nobody, no restriction on expressing and being open in communication. You don't have to like keep those feelings in and work on them all in solitude, isolation, and and not communicate. It's okay to say that, but it's also important to say that. I don't expect you to change and to put the toilet seat down. I just thought I would be open with you about you know, what I'm going through. And then the other person, the key here is not to make the other person or not to aim for the other person to start feeling guilty that they are causing you to feel this way. No, you feel this way because you feel this way, because your um, background, the way you were brought up, you know, maybe your parents were very strict about putting this toilet seat down in your family and uh, there was repercussions for not keeping it down and maybe your uh, sibling uh, managed to get away with it and that caused you and you couldn't get away with it and, and then they 
blamed it all on you and because of that you have this uh, emotional trauma from when you were five years old and now every time you see the toilet seat up you get a jolt of electricity go through your body that's on you that's your background that's your story everybody has their own, their own story so that's something you need to explore and deal with and understand that they might have a completely different background in their family maybe nobody cared about how the toilet seat was or maybe on the reverse everybody was like no we have to keep the toilet seat up because we have trained our dog and this dog can now go to the toilet but i can only do it when the toilet seat is up and and so on and so like everybody was super excited there was like uh, a lot of emotion about keeping this toilet seat up and uh, they remember that from their childhood so why is your story more important than their story why is your background more important than their background you're okay to share your feelings how you feel and what you're doing and going through but it's not the goal is not to make the other person you can't make the other person but not the, without the expectation that the other person will feel guilty or start to change it's just a part of the open communication in a relationship and then the other person is entitled to decide for themselves freely oh wow okay so this toilet seat thing oh you know it's not a big deal for me i can i i think i think actually you know what i think it'll be better for me not for for my because of my relationship not because of my partner but for me it'll be better if i start putting it down because indeed like uh like I actually find it looks more pleasant when it's down. It it matches, you know, the the uh, the bathroom tiles or something like that. Or or we have this uh, drain problem and there's less smell. So um, and and uh, like this is extreme. Like they probably wouldn't think this, but I'll, ideally the thought process should be along the lines of, as I understand it, along the, even if my partner, even if I wasn't with my partner, even if we were break to break up tomorrow. That's really a really cool idea. I I think I will want this in my life to keep putting this toilet seat down. Uh, no matter whom I'm with, if I'm single, if I'm someone else, if uh, if we're together or not, like just for myself, that's a good idea. Or they might decide, no, actually, you know what? It's not a good idea to put the toilet seat down. Like it's uh, it's not something that's useful to me. It's not something I want to change in my life. And then you need to accept whatever they decide. You shouldn't even expect that they will decide and change something, but you need to accept however they want to live their life. They might keep putting it, uh, keep keeping it up, putting it down, but it doesn't mean just because you told them what you go through and how you feel when you see the toilet seat up, it doesn't mean that now you're entitled for them to make this conclusion that they need to change. No, there should be no such expectation. That's the hard part, giving this feedback in such a way and being very careful and communicating, not feedback, but it's in, it shouldn't, the right, feedback's not the right word. Give, telling the other person how you feel just to share your feelings, but without it becoming feedback for them to change, right? So that's a very tricky part, but and that's what a, a intimate, good, healthy relation is about, where you can communicate these things and the other person doesn't jump to feeling, oh, I have to change and I have, I'm feeling guilty about this, or you're saying in an accusatory way or whatever else. Where you're just communicating your feelings, another person, oh, okay, I see. I see how you feel. And, and they talk to you about your feelings, but then they, they might not even take any action from there. So, yeah, that's a very fine line there um, and can impact a lot of people. And a lot of people, in a lot of, I think in most relationships, people have these certain expectations. There are things they, they like, these things they dislike, and they want these things to do, that they dislike, they can go away, that they go away. Um, the final thought here is that 
you should, you can, not you should, but you can also apply this rule to yourself. I, th- I think it's a good idea to apply this rule to yourself. Never change for someone else. You think you might be doing them a favor, but, uh, and you might be strengthening a relationship, you're actually hurting the relationship. If you start changing for someone else, just because they want you to, then you are going to eventually resent them and resent yourself. Uh, Only change your habits, behaviors, opinions, or perspectives, um, what are they called, like mannerisms and things like that, only if you truly want it for yourself. And the key question, like the, the litmus test here is, Ask yourself the question, if you end up not being with the other person, if tomorrow this person disappears from your life, do you still want to change that thing? Or is it just easier for you not to change it? Is it like not so important in your life that you don't want, you wouldn't want to change it if you were by yourself? Or is it indeed a way for spiritual or some other type of growth? Um, that's, that's the question that should be asked. Uh, I feel I need to preface or like postface this with uh, by saying I'm not a psychologist. This felt like quite heavy. This whole third learning, uh, I'm not a psychologist uh, or psychiatrist or any uh, professional in that space. These are my opinions. Uh, I might be wrong, so please take this with a grain of salt and also maybe consult somebody who's a professional in the space and can give you an opinion if this is. Uh, correct and useful for you or not correct and useful for you but this is how i see things okay so that was learnings one two and three uh, are you t- <laughs> getting a little bit tired yet uh i'm uh that was just a heavy one i think that's a heavy one because it's um uh, impacts a lot of uh, people a lot of relationships and it's a hard one as well we're so used to expecting other people to change and really hard to catch like we all we all do it i think we all do it i definitely do it a lot and that's something i need to get rid of for sure because that's that's not the way to a healthy uh fulfilled happy uh relationship okay let's move on to some other stuff so that was top three so far um moving on to number four Number four was in a recent 5-Minute Friday episode, uh, intellect versus intelligence. Well, it was called intellect and intelligence. Um, or you can also call it the intellectualizing versus the knowing. Uh, the idea here is that, so this was from uh, MZ, <laughs> who is our team coach. Um, and he has a lot of uh, interesting thoughts and can share cool ideas about spirituality. And uh, one time we were talking and he shared this with me that there's intellect and there's intelligence. And the way we use them interchangeably in the society uh, is one way of looking at it. But according to, according to a lot of like spiritual teachers, um, intellect and intelligence are different, distinctly different things. So intellect is when you come up with reasons and you have, uh, logic, reasoning, um, pros and cons, all that kind of stuff. Um, uh, stuff that we're used to. We, and we're, I, <laughs> I dare to say that we're pretty good at, uh, uh, as humans, and more importantly, like in data science, 
it's something that like we're like hardwired to do like follow logic and uh mathematics and calculations and things like that intelligence on the other hand is just a knowing an inner knowing like um you can call it uh, your intuition you can call it guidance from the universe you can call it um like i don't know your kind of <laughs> what else can it be called yeah intuition guidance from the universe some inner voice something like when you just know the answer right so how many times have you uh, had a situation where you know that like you need to go down this road uh but you have like a road a and road b you need to go down road a but then intellectually you convince yourself that hey no road b is going to be shorter or road b is uh is is actually the correct one you go down road b like even when you're driving walking or like metaphorically speaking when you need to share make a decision in your career path or life and you go down road b just to find out that there's roadworks or there's a construction site or there's a there's a big traffic jam and eventually you end up turning around anyway and going down road a or or you you have a massive delay and then you realize that road a was the correct one to go down in the first place even though you had all this intellectualizing well that, that's actually a great example because when we intellectualize uh when we use our intellect we base it off of the facts that we have in our brain and no matter how big your brain is uh, no matter how many facts you've read you are just you're limited to those facts there's way more facts out there in the universe out there in the world uh world around you even um and even if you have all the facts available on the internet all the facts that are digitalized there's still a lot of other facts that are not digitalized because the world has like infinite information flowing around all the time not on the internet like just in the world like trees and the you know the way the wind is blowing the way the sun is shining i know the uh the way the ants are crawling across the road and things like that there's a lot of information that we're not taking into account we cannot possibly take into account with intellect um and uh as much as we want to intellectualize it is like a probability is uncertainty as a probability of uh going wrong um whereas with intelligence sometimes you just know and when you follow that feeling, then um, you end up doing what, according to this view, you end up doing what is right, what is what is the correct thing to do. And even though it might lead to the wrong results at the beginning, what, what looks wrong to you, right? Uh, maybe you go down road A, and that's where the traffic jam is. And then you're like, damn, I should have gone, should have listened to my um intellect and gone down road b and then i would have been on time but maybe you're not meant to be there on time maybe by being there on time and attending this interview you would have uh, taken up a job where that company is disbanded three months five months from now and uh, you end up jobless whereas by going down road a the one that your intelligence told you go to go down uh, you end up in this traffic jam you miss the interview but then two days later you get an invitation to a different interview with a better job that that's the one that's meant for you. So in order to accept this intellect versus intelligence, uh, of course, uh, it's necessary to also have this view that there are things that, you know, there's some guidance that we're guided often in our lives to, to certain events, to certain um, outcomes, to certain circumstances, that it's, we're not here all on our own. 
Um, it's a hard one uh, to debate, of course. I believe in that. Uh, you might not, um, and that's fair. That's fair enough. So we won't spend too much time on this. Um, there's uh, just uh, one thing I guess I'll, I want to mention here is that MZ recommended to me a documentary, uh, and I haven't watched it yet. I really want to watch it. So um, I believe it's it's on that topic of uh, intellect versus intelligence and um, the role of spirituality in our lives. Uh, the, lo- the role of like knowing this inner inner knowing. I'm I'm not sure. I'm not. I might be completely uh, different. I haven't watched it yet. But it's about a quantum physicist uh, called David Bohm. B O H M. The film is called Infinite Potential. Um, so yeah, maybe if you're up for an interesting documentary, you might find that uh, useful. And if you're open to this whole idea of intellectual intelligence. Again, I'm not 100% sure if that's what it's about, but I suspect that uh, was what it's about. I just forgot <laughs> our conversation. Um, yeah. So uh, that's pretty much it. That's all I wanted to say on this topic. Um, there is one more thing I wanted to say. Uh, if uh, you believe in this intelligence, that there is this inner guidance, um, this inner knowing. Oh, another book, by the way where this is talked a lot about is Think and Grow Rich by uh, Napoleon Hill. I think I, I read, I listened to about half or just less than half of the book. I haven't gotten to many interesting parts yet, but he talks about that as well. A lot of people actually talk about that. Um, I believe Einstein, uh, don't quote me on this, but I believe Einstein also talked about this later on. Um, uh, yeah, that... Uh, like ideas come not when you're thinking a lot about it, but when your your mind is at peace, like they just come from somewhere. Um, anyway, so what I was going to say is like, if you believe in these things, if you believe in this, uh, then for me, the more I follow intelligence, the less I follow intellect, the less problems I have in life, the less kind of stress, the less stress I have in life. Uh, because it's stressful to try and intellectualize everything all the time. Sometimes when I have an in- inner feeling that I should do it a certain way, I just go and follow that feeling. Not always, and I'm getting better at it, but I just go and do that, and 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 things things work out. One example, uh, an example that you'll probably find close uh, to maybe to to you, maybe to your heart, is uh, the decision uh, I made about stepping down as the podcast host for this show. Uh, I don't have an intellectual reason for it. I don't have, like I could come up with an, I could intellectualize it as much as I could intellectualize staying the host of this podcast. But I don't need to because at some point, one, like I just had this feeling and this inner knowing that it's time. It's time to step down from the podcast as the host and that that's the right thing to do. And that's that's all. Like I I tried maybe a little bit to intellectualize it and understand why and so on. But again, I could come up with as many reasons for stepping down. I could come up with as many reasons for staying the host of a podcast. And that's just just not not uh <laughs> it's not going to lead to any anything good. Like uh while I felt I this is the right thing for me to host the podcast and be the host of the podcast. Great. But then at some point I felt it's time. And I don't know why. Why? Like it's really hard, as Steve Jobs said, 
once, it's really hard to connect the dots looking forward, but it's much easier to connect them looking backwards. I don't know, I don't know why it's the right thing to do right now, but I guess maybe 10 years from now, I'll be able to look back and see why it was the right thing to do right now and what it led to. So we can just live and find out. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's, uh, that's, I guess, an example of uh, intellect versus intelligence. Um, yeah, and uh, let's, uh, let's move on to the next one. So that was number four, intellect versus intelligence. Number five is needs versus wants, desires, and wishes. Often in life we come across a question, if we, if this is with a caveat, if we choose to be in an intimate relationship with somebody, often, often in life we come across a question, who do we prioritize? Do we prioritize the other person, our intimate partner or significant other, or do we prioritize ourselves? And how do you choose what, what to do in which scenario? Um, and that's why having a kind of like a system for that, like a, a system of values uh, around that can be helpful because these decisions can be hard and often we can end up doing something that in the end, like we're not comfortable with or where we where we feel we neglecting neglecting our partner or we're neglecting ourselves, uh, and it it can be tough. It can be tough to make this choice. But if you like in advance sit down and think about it and structure it, okay. So this in this case I do this. In this case I do that. Uh, it becomes it becomes easier because you've already put the thinking into it behind when you're like uh, fresh of mind. And you have this sober thinking rather than in the moment when it's a stressful time or there's emotions involved, it's hard to make that, that call. So what I wanted to explore here is a one, one way, one system of making these decisions. Uh, it might be a system that resonates with you, might not, but let's have a look. Let's, uh, let's look into it and then you can decide for yourself if it's, it's a good system for you or what you want to take out of it or if it's not a good system. Um, and then you can come up with your own uh, system if you like. So this system um, has two distinct categories. One category is needs, another character category is wants, desires, and wishes. Needs are inward things that like you need your you need physically, your body needs, like I don't know, sleep or um, uh, food or uh, physical rest, or it might be spiritual thing, spiritual needs, needs uh, like uh, a you need to undergo a certain learning or undergo a certain experience. You feel you need that for your uh, spiritual growth. It could be needs of the mind. You might need like mental rest. You just need to. Uh, have some calm, quiet time. Those are needs. On the other hand, wants, wishes, and desires, those are external priorities. For instance, if you want to go and do a hobby, or you want to go and ride a bicycle, or you want to go and um, uh, work out at the gym, or you want to go and do a crossword puzzle, or you want to go and... Um, I don't know. You want to uh, you want to eat uh, Thai food for dinner and not Indian, 
or you want to watch Netflix instead of playing a board game or something like that. Those are wants, wishes, and those external things that are that you could live without. You know that that are not critical, that are not um, imp- like. There, I think it's clear. It's hard to explain, but I think it's clear. It's kind of clear what a difference between a need is and the want, wish, and desire. So when it comes to prioritizing your partner or yourself, the way to look at it is different in two, two different categories. If you're looking at the external uh, priorities, the wants, wishes, and desires, then here you need to prioritize your partner first and then yourself. On the other hand, if you're looking at the inward priorities, if you're looking at the needs, then here you need to prioritize yourself first and then your partner. Why is that? Well, let's look at a few examples. Um, uh, if you uh, are talking about where we're going to go, uh, which movie are we going to watch at, at the cinema or like or on the TV or something or on a computer or <laughs> Netflix or whatever. That's a want, wish, desire. You, uh, unless you feel it's a need that you need to watch a certain specific movie because of your like uh, spiritual growth, or there, there, you just feel this inner, inner knowing that you need to do that. Unless it's that, and this is like a, it's like an entertainment thing and so on. And you have a disagreement. Your partner wants to watch um, uh, a cartoon, and you want to watch uh, a action film. And that's a want, desire, wish. In that case, uh, it's there. There is no like, <laughs> there is no actual reason why you have to watch a action film. It's just your like. It's just what you would like to do, what you want to do. And when you start arguing with your partner about no, we should watch uh, a. Like if you communicate that to them and they're like, no, actually, I would really prefer to watch a cartoon. Well, there's only two ways about it, like you, or three ways. You don't, uh, so you you watch the cartoon, you watch the action film, you don't watch anything, and uh, uh, the it would be incorrect, right? So here, what would happen first if you continue arguing? No, like we should watch a uh, a uh, action film because of this, 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 and these reasons, and then they do the the same thing. There's a that that doesn't come from a place of love. That doesn't come from a place of um, connectedness and understanding and caring for each other. That comes from a place of uh, being right or winning or convincing the other person. And that doesn't, to me, doesn't feel or sound like, uh, okay, we're trying to build a loving, caring, intimate relationship here. Because if both people have that kind of compass that they need to prioritize their wishes, desires, uh, and wants, then it's always going to be like a pull, like a, a game of who can pull pull uh, the rope over. And then then at, well, at some point, ego will get involved and you'll be like, well, why do I have to succumb to their wishes? Why can't my wishes be prioritized? I also have a, a right to have my wants and desires. That's, whole, that's your ego talking, right? That's not your inner self talking. That's your identity. You're attaching your identity to things and uh, there's a whole new kind of worms. Much easier to set your your value compass. In this case, if there is a difference like that, too, just let let the other person's desires, wishes, wants come true. And how beautiful is it if both people have that attitude? If both people have that um, 
attitude, then it's always going to be rather than I know that my wishes should take priority. It'll be like, let's do your wishes. No, let's do your wishes. Like in that case, uh, there's much more room for creating a loving, caring, beautiful relationship than in the first case. And guess what? If you do that, if you prioritize other person's wishes, wants, and desires, then if this is the right relationship, if this is a relationship that is growing, that the people are both committed to, the other person will notice and they will start to reciprocate. They will eventually just, it's not something you should hope or expect, but normally I would, I think that's how it happens. Like if you are constantly just purging the other person's wishes, they're either going to take advantage of it and you're going to probably realize for yourself it's not the right relationship for me, or they're going to see that, feel it, feel the love that's coming from you and do that back in return to you. So like you can, of course, discuss like, oh yeah, I'm happy to watch a cartoon, just don't want to watch this one specifically because, you know, like I've seen it just recently, can watch a different one. You can agree on things like that. There's a room for discussion, but always like coming from a place of giving rather than taking is is going to lead to better results in in the long term uh, and a better relationship. That's the way I see it. Uh, So that's about uh, external priorities. Uh, or external things, needs, uh, wants, wishes, desires. But now when it comes to needs, the story is different. If it's a need, you should prioritize yourself first, then your partner. Um, so your need comes above their wish, want, to desire, or your need comes up even above their need. Why is that? And this is where it's important to really decide for yourself or understand for yourself what what a need for you is versus a wish one desire because if it's a need it is so strong that if you do not fulfill it then you are not being true to yourself Um, for example let's say uh, well a simple one where your partner wants to go uh, out to the movies, uh, or let, let's uh, let's look at something else. Your partner wants to like play a board game together, and you feel you need to um, sleep. Right, you're tired. You're physically, mentally exhausted. You've had a big day. Maybe you didn't sleep well the previous night. Uh, maybe you had a tough day at work. Maybe uh, you've been going undergoing certain stress or whatever. Whatever the case may be, but. You just feel that this is not like sleeping might also be a wish one desire. You just want to go to bed early or maybe you just want you just want to sleep because you like sleeping or you're just uh, feeling like in a lazy mood. That's a different story. But in this case, you're feeling the physical or mental need to go and sleep. But your partner wants to play a board game. What happens if you prioritize their, in this case, the want, wish or desire? If you prioritize their want, wish or desire over your need, what happens is that they, uh, or that you go and you play that board game, but you are so tired, you're not in the mood for a board game, you're extremely drained, and you're going to force yourself to pretend to be enjoying it, to be happy. Uh, you're going to effectively be lying to them by like just for the sake of them having this entertainment and they don't need that either. They don't want that either. They don't want uh, a grumpy person playing with them and 
uh, they will see or sense through that. Or even if they don't, in the end, you're going to resent them for it. You're going to resent yourself for not taking care of yourself first. So in that case, it's very clear that in a loving way, you can say, hey, um, I, I would love to play a board game. I know how much you love them. But maybe can we do that? Um, maybe can we do that another time? Because right now I'm feeling very tired, exhausted. I feel I need to go and sleep. And then you have your rest, and then if you play the board game another time, uh, it's a whole different story. So in that case, it's quite uh, straightforward. But now let's look at an example where uh, it's two needs. You know, that's tougher, right? So for instance, again, you need to sleep. You feel you need to sleep, but your partner is going through some emotional turmoil. Uh, it's a tough, uh, they, they're going through like a tough decision or a tough time in their life. Something's happening and they feel they need some support. They need someone to talk to, someone to listen to them. So if your desire, if it was a desire or a want or a wish to sleep, right? If you were in that state where you can stay up a bit longer, you can, but you just wish to go, you just like, you know, you don't want to bother with anything. You just like, uh, you like you wish to get out of bed on time, you usually go to bed at this time or um, what, whatever else. Like uh, you wish to get up early in the morning to go for a bicycle ride with your mate and things like that. And so you wish and thereby you don't need to go to sleep, right? You wish, it's your desire to go to sleep early so you get enough sleep and so on. It's important to recognize that as a wish, desire or a want and to deprioritize that and prioritize your partner's need but on the other hand if you really feel you need to sleep like in the previous example where you are so tired so exhausted mentally drained for whatever reason you you're like you know those times when for me for instance if i'm so tired i have like a pain in my in the front of my forehead or above or my eyes i feel pain i feel like they're very irritated and uh, like my eyes are irritated so I feel this need, like it's, it's no questions about it. Then again, what happens if you prioritize your partner's needs? Then you go and you try to support them, listen to them, uh, be there for them emotionally. But in the end, it turns out that you're not there emotionally. You're not present. You're just thinking about sleep or you're not listening attentively enough. You, uh, you're not paying uh, attention to the things they're saying. You're not able to provide emotional support. You're not, you're not, able, not able to be there for them. They feel that, they sense it, and they lash out, like, why are you not listening to me? You don't care about me, and all this, all these things. And uh, uh, you get defensive, you have a conflict on top of the emotional turmoil that they're already going through. And so in that case, again, it's important to prioritize your need because that's just a need that you have, and that's, <laughs> that's pretty much it. It's tough. So it's tough. And why was, has this been a big learning for me? Because I used to often, very often, in my views, like I'm biased, of course, because I, I'm myself, but in my view, I used to neglect my needs and feel resentful. Like if my partner would ask me, hey, can we, you know, play a board game where I want to sleep or, hey, uh, or I don't know, watch a movie when, when you want to sleep or um, I don't know, uh, some other things or like, can we spend time together when I actually feel the need to rest, when I need not necessarily sleep, but rest can be just like lying down and listening to an audiobook or 
uh, lying down and um, staring at the ceiling or going for a walk by myself or something. Like I feel I need that right now. I I used to always think that, hey, no, like let's prioritize the other person, especially if it comes to a need. Turns out that uh, can backfire and be counterproductive. So there we go. That's about needs and wants, uh, wishes and desires and uh, how you can choose to prioritize them, how like I am now choosing to prioritize them. Uh, important thing here is to understand in the moment if that's a need or wish, want, desire. I'm no, nowhere near good enough at that. Uh, I have to say, <laughs> I have to admit, from this learning, the thing that I'm applying the most uh, is prioritizing my needs. So I'm, I'm still not there yet with prioritizing now the person's wishes, wants, and desires. I still have my ego get in the way and I want my wishes, wants, and desires. That's still a big learning that I, I need to undertake. But for now, one thing I've learned and it's helped me is that if there are needs involved, then however important the other person need is if i have a need i need to take care of that first so then i can be there for the other person and one final comment on all this needs versus wants uh, wishes and desires is communicate your needs nobody is a mind reader communicate uh, your wishes wants and desires also communicate your needs people are better at communicating from from the way i see it people are better at communicating their wish, wishes wants and desires than their needs Nobody's a mind reader. Nobody can tell that you, you right now you maybe need to sleep or you need to, you're really hungry, you need to eat or you need uh, rest or whatever else. Uh, and then if you just go and do it, like you go away, be by yourself for, for a walk or something when the other person thought that you're going to be together, then it becomes like they don't understand why you're doing that. So it's important to communicate your needs to the other person. And that's part of this open communication just keep in mind that nobody is a mind reader and that's something i am terrible at i'm really bad at communicating my needs or even uh, often wants wishes and desires uh i like or like if it's a, if it's a need i just go and like do it and uh, like um uh, focus on that but then the, as mentioned the other person is uh, my partner is like thinking like what is going on why are they uh, ignoring me or neglecting me or whatever, when I just feel like I need to rest. So the, fi the final point there is to communicate your needs. All right, so we're at number six, intention versus effect. So this is the one where I was actually very surprised looking through the 5-Minute Friday episodes just now, uh, well, earlier, a few hours ago, that uh, I hadn't uh, recorded this one as a 5-Minute Friday episode. Uh, it was a very cool learning um, and yeah, so let's, uh, let's look into it now. Uh, this is about interpersonal relationships. doesn't have to be intimate relationships. can be with anybody. And it's about how to re remove, conf how to have less conflict. So imagine this scenario. Uh, by the way, this comes from a, a video by um, a person called Anastasia K. It's in Russian, so it'll be hard to... <laughs> Uh, follow along if you don't know Russian. It's uh, on YouTube. It's called How to Stop Holding Grudges and Resolve Conflicts Productively. But these insights are from a book called uh, Difficult Conversations by Bruce Patton, Douglas Stone, and Sheila Heen. I, I haven't read the book. I have the book. I've uh, uh, ordered the book. I have it with me. Uh, it's just that I haven't gotten a chance to read. But this was so impactful to me that I went and got the book. I started reading the book. I didn't. I, actually, I didn't quite like how it's written, but that's just me. You might like it. Anyway, so this uh, 
one insight is from that book, and it's to do with uh, having less conflict. So we'll start with an example, and I'll use the same examples that uh, Anastasia used in her uh, YouTube video. So imagine there's a um, a ambulance behind you in uh, uh, in traffic, like or not in traffic, like you're on the road driving, but then there's an ambulance um, uh, behind you. Uh, beeping at you, flashing at you to let it go through. You're gonna gonna pull over or or change lanes and let through, let the ambulance drive through because uh, you're clearly it's something's important is happening. Uh, imagine the same scenario, uh, but instead of an ambulance, there's a Bentley behind you who is flashing its lights to let it through. Uh, you're gonna have a completely different reaction, right? You're going to uh, the feeling that's going to be triggered similar similar situation. The car needs to get through. But you're gonna have different uh, reaction. You're gonna think that you know that person is probably feels they're entitled. They they have an expensive car, so they they get to go first, or they get to own the road and things like that. Whereas they might actually also be going through an emergency. You know, there might be somebody that is in in danger or um, giving birth or something like that. Uh, it's just our perception is different in most situations. So let's have a look at a second example. Second example is electricity shock. <laughs> there was. Uh, basically, a study done where two groups of people were you know, being observed by scientists and one of them, uh, well, both of them got an electric shock, like, a, I guess, a mild electric shock. In one case, this, the experiment was set up in such a way to lead the participants to believe that that shock was done by accident. In the second scenario, in the second group, the uh, experiment was set up in such a way to lead the second group uh, of people to believe that that shock was done on purpose. And so then they, uh, the scientists measured the perception of pain in both, in both groups. In the first group where uh, it was done by accident, where they thought it was done by accident, the perception of pain was less than in the second group. So when people thought, believed that they were shocked by electricity on purpose, their perception, they felt that it was more painful. Even though it's exactly the same shock of electricity, for them it felt more painful because they thought there was an intention to hurt, hurt them behind this shock. Another example is where two groups of people were given uh, uh, the news of a story where in, one, in some company uh, there were massive pay cuts to the employees. The first group of people were told that this pay cut was necessary because the CEO had done a mistake and in order for the company to survive, uh, they had to be pay cuts. The second group of people were told that uh, the CEO is greedy, they want more money for themselves and thereby the employees got pay cuts. And then they were asked about their, uh, how their perception of the damage that was done to these employees. In the first group, people perceived that less damage was done to the employees in the second group than people in the second group who perceived that a lot of damage, well, more damage was done to the employees by these actions. Interestingly enough, the pay cuts were the same. So in both, uh, in both stories, the employees got exactly the same pay cut. So objectively speaking, the damage to their lifestyles and to their livelihoods was identical. But because of the backstory, because the backstory is different, and because the way people are seeing this, whether the CEO had done a mistake and it's just there's no other way, or the way CEO was greedy, uh, that was influencing how they perceived the damage that was done, even though objectively the damage was the same. 
So what's going on here? The thing that's going on is that our brain is subject to many cognitive biases. Uh, and one of them, one of these cognitive biases is to extrapolate the effect someone's actions have on us onto their intentions. I.e., effect equals intentions. So, for instance, example, if uh, the way a person thinks or pay we are used to thinking is like if you did something and it caused me pain then you wanted to cause me pain so that's the key here that if someone does something to us and it causes us pain our cognitive bias leads us to believe to assume right away that their intention was to cause us pain so that's uh, that's the key and and whereas it's not always the case in many, in many situations, in, in most probably situations, in interpersonal relationships, people don't want to cause pain. People have other intentions. People have pure or good intentions, but their actions can cause detriment, can cause pain or suffer, not suffering, can cause, can, can cause pain, damage or uh, something like that because maybe they you know, may, made an earnest mistake or maybe there's differences in perceptions. They see this as not a problematic thing. You see it as a problematic thing. There's differences in cultures, differences. Lots of reasons why the pain, the effect could be painful without the intention being there to cause pain. And then what happens? So somebody... Uh, this is like the typical story. Somebody says says or does something that causes you pain or causes us pain, uh, or let's say me, that causes me pain. I, because of my cognitive bias, very important here to, to remember that this is a cognitive bias. This is, this is just how our brains are hardwired through all the millions of years of evolution. This is just what happens in my brain. I automatically assume they wanted to cause me pain. And then... When I do, let's say, maybe I just hold a grudge and I'm upset with them and I don't want to talk with them and like, and, and you know, maybe uh, like we, we, I'm just going to see them as a, as like, I'll, no, I'll never talk to them about it. I'll just see them as a person that wants to, to hurt me in the future. Or if I do man up the, or <laughs> muster up the courage uh, and uh, get together the, the will to go and, and discuss this with them, then what happens next is, when I go to resolve it with the other person, usually I would approach them in a way like I would be like, why did you do this? Like I, you know, that caused me this problem. That caused me pain or that made me look embarrassed or whatever else. I usually, or what we, what humans normally would do is approach it in a way that triggers that person to be defensive, right? So we carry that forward. Like they did something we, that caused us pain. The effect is painful. So we assume through our cognitive bias that the intention was to cause us pain. And when we go talk to them, we carry that assumption forward. We carry it like you, you did this, so you caused me pain. And like you can, even if you phrase it, you try to phrase it prop, like differently, they can sense that you are attacking them, that you are insinuating that, they're, that they wanted to cause you pain, that they're a bad person or that they... Uh, you know that 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 was that they were uh, their objective to cause you pain. What happens is because of that, they get defensive, they get uh, triggered, they get defensive, and they start protecting themselves, and so it escalates from there. So effectively, it has the opposite effect. 
you're like you're going and speaking with them to resolve it has the opposite effect it actually escalates the conflict instead instead of resolving it the correct thing to do here the advice that i get well that i got from the video and i guess is given in the book the correct thing to do here is to have a learning conversation um a learning conversation is structured very differently to a conversation of just go up to the person and tell them how the how their actions made you feel it still has that purpose to resolve the the conflict that's that's occurred but it needs to be done very carefully and thought through right so first step is recognizing that understanding okay what was the action that the other person did second recognizing the effect that it had on you third step is understanding what assumption you came up with from that effect like what did your cognitive bias lead you to believe and now also appreciating that so step four step four is to appreciate that this assumption might be correct might be partially correct might be fully incorrect and now step five is to think of how you would actually communicate this to that person without triggering them just trying to resolve this genuinely earnestly trying to resolve the situation trying to understand where they were coming from rather than attacking them and telling them that they're a bad person so basically here in step, step five is super important the whole process is super important because the more we liberate the other person from the desire to become defensive the easier it will be for everybody the easier this relationship will be the more smooth it will be the easier it will be to progress this is a very hard thing to take all of this onus to do all of this on yourself it's much easier to go and just blurt it out back at the person tell them about your frustration well you will get what we normally get uh, an escalation of conflict defensiveness and no resolution if you really want to resolve it if you really want to grow this relationship it might be an intimate relationship it might be a professional relationship it might be a uh, inter like a family per or a relationship it might be a friendship it might be whatever it could be this can happen anywhere then it is important to go through these steps like take some time calm down go through these steps and um, craft a way that you will approach them so to minimize the chances that they'll get defensive example let's say you are married you have kids um, and your spouse said something in front of the kids like for example you told the kids that they can have ice cream and uh, they were you know, already getting their, clothes, their, their stuff together, uh, as in like preparing to go have ice cream. And then later on, you find out that your spouse told them that they can't have ice cream and that, you know, that, that's, uh, that's a bad idea, that they'll get uh, sick or that they will, you know, like they don't, haven't deserved it or whatever else. So the action is that your spouse told the kids that they can't have ice cream. The effect it had on you is you feel your reputation or your influence or kind of like the way the kids see you has now been affected that they see you as less important or they see you as a liar or they see you as a you know somebody who promises and can't deliver on their promise uh, they trust you less maybe you feel they trust you less or you feel embarrassed in front of them or you feel you've lost some yeah basically i forgot <laughs> i forgot the exact word but like you you've lost some reputation or like parenting strength in front of them so you feel you feel bad about that you feel like how how dare my spouse do that to me and like i feel like i am less important in the kid's eyes than her or him 
right? And then my 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 intimate partner, how how is that? That's that's not fair, you know. That's that's they wanted to do that, right? So then that's then we come to your assumption that they that your spouse intentionally was scheming or uh, knew that this effect would happen, and they wanted you to lose that uh, reputation or that authority. That's the word I was looking for. You lost authority. You feel you lost authority in front of the kids. And now uh, your assumption is that uh, when your spouse took that action about telling them they can't have ice cream, they wanted or they understood that you would lose authority uh, and they wanted you to feel that way and they wanted you to actually lose that authority. So that's step three. Step four is to understand. So that's the whole conflict, right? Uh, we can go through the steps. Basically, step one is that the action was to tell them that they can't have ice cream. This effect had that you felt you lost authority in front of the kids. Uh, step three, and you felt like embarrassed. And step three is, okay, assumption. So what's the assumption I have? Assumption is that uh, my spouse intended for me to lose authority and feel embarrassed in front of the kids. Uh, step four will be, now let's accept, let's appreciate for a second that this assumption that the spouse wanted or desired, intended for me to feel embarrassed in front of the kids or lose authority in their eyes, that that assumption that they had that intention is maybe correct, maybe partially correct, but also could be incorrect, right? As long as I appreciate that, it makes me stop and think, huh, there's a possibility, there's a slight chance, it's just an assumption, it's not the truth, it's not the ground truth. Maybe it's a cognitive bias leading me to believe that, there's a slight possibility that it could be incorrect. Let me investigate that first. And step five is to craft that, how are you going to communicate? So really think through, how am I going to communicate with my spouse to tell him or her that, tell them that uh, they, you know, that this is, this is how I feel and to resolve and understand why they did that. So way or would do it. It's that, let, me try, let me try. I'm not an expert on this. I, I'm just learning. It's just a hypothetical example. But the way I would go about it, I guess, is I would go and say, um, Hey dear, I'd like to talk to you about something. Um, uh, you may have not noticed this, but earlier today uh, you told the kids that they can't have ice cream. Well, a few hours prior to that, I had told them that they can have ice cream and they were very excited, pumped up to go and, and have that ice cream. Um, and uh, when you told, after I found out that you told them they can't have ice cream, I I felt like um, I felt like my authority... Uh, in front of them has been shaken and also I felt a bit embarrassed in, in front of them because like uh, like I promised them something that they couldn't have in the end and uh, I just wanted to let you know that's how I felt and uh, I, could, could you please help uh, for, for me to understand where were you coming from when you told them uh, that they can't have the ice cream so that uh, you know I just I just want to understand uh, uh, like w- what you were going through and uh, like what went into into that action, what was behind that action. Uh, it would really help me process this situation and understand my feelings better. So if you approach it that way, it's much less like, compare it to this, for example. Honey, earlier today, told the kids they can't have ice cream. Well, actually, I told them that they could have ice cream. So like, why are you undermining my authority? Like, why are you making me embarrassed in front of the kids? Like, I feel embarrassed in front of them now. And why are you undermining my authority in front of the kids? This, uh, like, we, we're supposed to have equal authority. We're supposed to discuss these decisions. It doesn't work. It's not going to work if, like, you're going to be constantly telling them the opposite of what I say. That's, that's bad parenting, and I, I don't understand why this is happening. Can you please clarify for me? Like, compare the first and the second. In the second, 
what are the chances like big props to your spouse if they manage to take that process it calmly patiently and actually communicate with you well you're really reducing the chances like speaking of like statistics and math and things like that you're really minimizing the chances that there'll be a productive conversation most likely they're going to blow up and like you i'm undermining your authority how come you told them they could have ice cream before I before we discussed it? Or I didn't even know you told them they had they could have ice cream, but and so on. And that's just gonna escalate. So that's the second one. And the first one, much calmer or much, much more humble, much more like focusing on me, say talking about my feelings, talking about no like minimal you statements, talking about my feelings, about what I'm going through, how how this information will help me process this and you know, like whatever else help us better communicate, things like that. Um, in the first case, still there's a chance that uh, the um, spouse might blow up to that, but the chance is less. There's a higher chance now that they will really appreciate the way you're coming to them and the, the, the openness that you're trying to create, an opening, open communication channel that you're trying to resolve some inner conflict, some inner disbalance, disharmony that you're going through. And as a result, they're much more likely to communicate with you well. So the whole idea of this approach is to see that effect doesn't equal intention, that uh, we have a cognitive bias to, to extrapolate the effect on the intention, but it doesn't necessarily equal intention, that we have assumptions in our head, and also finally to have good loving productive doesn't if it's not an intimate relationship doesn't have to be loving but useful communication between people to resolve this conflict so yeah that's i think a very cool thought and uh, as a like a call to action here you can like maybe pause the audio or after you listen to this whole podcast so think about uh, the call to action is to think about an example of when you were triggered recently when you were triggered by something whether you did address it with the other person or you didn't address it with the other person, to go through these five steps. Understand what the action was, what the effect was on you, uh, understand and uh, that you have what was the assumption that you made, appreciate that the assumption might be correct, incorrect, uh, correct, partially correct, or incorrect, and finally to come up with a, a text, uh, like a phrase, and I actually say it out loud just, just for practice sake, a text uh, or like a, a, like a way of addressing the other person that would minimize the desire of them to respond in a defensive way. So you want to liberate them of that desire or temptation to respond. That's not a temptation. It's like a, minimize the chances of them responding in a defensive way. Okay, so that was number six. And finally, to, to, to number seven, to finish it off, uh, I think this one's going to be a quick one. Uh, do not take things personally. So it's kind of like actually linked to that previous one, that when somebody tells you something, like how, how they're feeling, uh, it's kind of like, yeah, it's linked to the previous one in the sense that you are on the receiving end of some... Uh, some uh, comment like I'm feeling upset because you did this or I'm feeling frustrated with you because of this or when you do this it makes me feel like that right uh, the learning I had this year was that when something like that happens it's very easy to get defensive right so again it's it's very it's, uh, exactly it's it's the same as number six but on the it's not well it's it, it's the same 
scenario six, but you're on the receiving end. So what happens when somebody comes and talks to us like that? We get triggered. We get defensive. Like, or but I didn't want to. Let's 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 continue with the same example. I didn't want to undermine your authority with the kids. That wasn't my intention. I just want them to be healthy. I just I just because they had ice cream yesterday. I really believe it's too much ice cream. Or or that ice cream place. Like I read on the news that they had a an outbreak of uh, I was gonna say cholera. I don't know salmonella or something like that. Or they had guitar practice that they need to go about, uh, go and do, and you forgot about that guitar practice or whatever else. Uh, so it it triggers when somebody comes up to me and says that you doing this caused me to feel this way, uh, or because of you, or even worse, if they come up and say because of you I feel this way, or you made me feel this way, I get triggered to get defensive and to protect my position, you know, and and. And tell them how no, my intentions were this, and clarify, and so on, and 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 in an uh, in most cases like in a defensive way, uh, or you know some maybe sometimes in a more loving way, but still like it triggers me to be defensive. The thing here is that <laughs> I asked my psychologist this question: When is it worthwhile? When when should you take something personally? This is exactly what she said. She said the only time you should take something personally if somebody is physically harming you. If it's just words, if they're saying words to you, you never should take things personally. You should get to a point in your personal growth that you don't, you just, like, it's hard, of course, we're, we're all human. But the goal is to not take anything they say personally, anything anybody says personally. That's anything anybody says. That's their opinion. That's their perspective on life. That's how they're interpreting things that are happening, whether it's my actions or my words or it's something else that's going on. There's a framework uh, by Tony Robbins that events lead to meaning, meaning leads to emotion, emotion leads to decision, decision leads to action, action leads to life. And this meaning, how do people give meaning to things? Well, it's it comes from how they were brought up through their cultural unique things that are unique to their culture through their nature how like what what kind of person they are through a lot of things that were put into their head by their parents by the, their people uh, around them when they were between 0 and 9 years old and maybe a bit older than that but like a lot of it comes from early childhood so the way people interpret things is different so i might say something that to me sounds nice uh, like you look beautiful in that dress and that other person might interpret that as a critique or a, an, an attack or like or like they might interpret it as, well, what is he saying? He's saying that I look beautiful in that dress, but I don't look beautiful in other dresses or I don't look beautiful uh, just as I am as a human being. I have to have that dress to be beautiful. Like w anything you say can be interpreted in so many different ways and you put something good into something you're saying or doing, you know, not letting the kids have ice cream, the other person's interpreting it as an attack on their authority uh, in front of the kids or um, that you wanted to make them feel embarrassed in front of the kids or that you wanted to put them down, you wanted to be the better parent or you wanted the kids to understand who's the boss in the house or something like that. So many things can be interpreted. That The important thing to remember that I've realized for myself is that I guess in most things, if not all things I do, I have pure intentions. I have good intentions, pure intentions. I'm not here to harm anybody. I'm not here to put anybody down. I'm not here to 
harm anybody's authority or tell people you know that they're not beautiful or whatever else um of course we all have times when we say nasty things in in a fleet of a moment or you know and those times are worth uh, are important to apologize for and recognize and, and eradicate from your life but overall in in 99 95% of the cases like i'm just trying to be a good person and if somebody is coming to me and saying that you made me feel bad or you did this or you did and because of that you i feel like this that's on them that's not me who's tr- who is causing it's not my intention to cause them the effect things have on them i'm happy to hear out what effect it had on them and i'm happy to clarify like in the previous example like if if they come in a in a very how manner and they explain how they feel i'm i'm more than happy i want to have this open communication but more importantly this seventh learning for me is that even if they come with an attack at me i need to be able to calm myself down and see beyond that attack right the attack is because of the cognitive bias that the effect they received they think that that was the intention i put behind it if I see beyond that, if I let myself be calm and not get triggered and not get defensive, then I can help resolve this conflict. I can help clarify without having to apologize. I like I don't believe in apologizing for something that you you didn't like you wasn't a mistake. Like it, it's just the other person is interpreting it differently. I'm happy to talk about it. I'm happy to clarify it, but like I think excessively apologizing for everything leads people to feel entitled that they are uh, always being hurt that they're always being wronged and that uh, everybody owes them an apology i don't believe in that i believe that i i don't think that's that's a good thing that's i don't think that i think that's enabling people to be more victims all the time i think if you do something wrong definitely apologize for it but if your intentions are pure or, or like if your intentions are pure and you through pure intentions you did something, but it was a mistake. In the end, it turned out to, like there was an error somewhere, a mistake, or an honest like like oversight or something. Then again, you can apologize. But if it's just the I, if it's just the other person's interpretation of something, then the right thing to do is to clarify it for them. To be like, oh, I see. Like, I thank you for sharing that with me. Even if they come in an attacking, accusatory way, the key here is to not take it personally and to be like. Thank you for sharing that with me. I see you're going through emotional stress or that it's really affected you. Would you like me to clarify what I actually meant, what my intentions were behind this, the meaning I put into it? Would that, would that be helpful? And, if, and then if the person says yes, then you clarify it for them. And like, and then I tell them, well, actually, this is what I meant. I meant that uh, you know, this dress looks fantastic on you and uh, it has nothing to do with how you look in other dresses. I think you're beautiful and you look amazing in any dress, but... Specifically, this dress, I just wanted to point out how great you look today. Or in, in the kid's example, it might be like, honey, I'm not trying to undermine your authority. The intention I had behind this is that they actually had piano lessons. And uh, uh, I, I think that that was an important thing for them to go. And I wanted to remind them that, hey, they need to go to the piano lesson. Or, or I read in the news that this, uh, there was an outbreak of salmonella at this ice cream parlor. Or, uh, you know, or I didn't know, I, I honestly didn't know you had uh, told them they can have ice cream. Uh, sorry, I didn't. So in this case, it's kind of like a mistake, right? So in this case, sorry, I didn't 
Uh, I didn't check with you first uh, or ask them why they thought they could have ice cream. Definitely should have checked. And thanks for bringing that to my attention. Please don't take it as, as I was trying to undermine your authority. Just didn't know. You know, boom. Thing, everything re like a conflict result. The more we can do this, whether with number six, you know, doing those five steps and addressing, like re replacing, separating effect from intention and addressing somebody appropriately to minimize the chance they get defensive. Or this number seven, where we ourselves don't take things personally and we ourselves minimize our chances of getting defensive when somebody comes to us. The more we can do this, the less conflict we'll have in our lives and the more harmonious our relationships will be. So there we go. <laughs> we are done with number seven, which was do not take things personally. Very interesting how these two, six and seven, come hand in hand. I just realized it as, uh, you know, like I, when I was writing them down a few days ago, like I wrote, I write them down throughout the year. I've been writing them down throughout the year. But as I was like compiling them into the top seven, I realized that they kind of go hand in hand, but I only realized how much they go hand in hand, that it's the same example, but symmetrical just now while, while speaking through it. So um, yeah, hopefully it uh, will be helpful and you maybe will find a, some value in this to also, <laughs> uh, I can't say also because uh, that would imply that I am having less conflict. I feel, I, th I feel I'm having less conflict or I'm learning to have less conflict in my life. Uh, but uh, I, I hope you'll find some value in this to have less conflict in your life. So there we go. That's uh, my top seven learnings of 2020. Thank you very much for being here with me throughout this podcast. I know it's been over an hour and they, they always go longer, longer than that. I don't know what I was thinking when uh, I was starting to record this when I said I'll try and make it an hour or less or, so, or about an hour. Uh, I, I, I know kind of what I was thinking. I needed, I wanted to be somewhere, but then I uh, realized that uh, it's just not going to happen. Um, Thank you so much uh, for today and also thank you so much for being here for the past four plus years, so over four years. It's been a great, amazing, insightful, just fantastic journey for me. I wish to anybody, if you're ever looking for a great way to grow and challenge yourself and learn and meet great people to start a podcast, I've had a fantastic time here and whether you listen to 400 episodes or listen to one episode thank you from the bottom of my heart for being here uh, really pushes me forward and uh, has been has pushed me forward and yeah it's just it's really nice I feel I feel like I am even though I, I I've met a few people listening to this podcast but nowhere near to the to everybody but I still feel a connection I don't know how but I feel a connection so thank you so much and yeah best of luck let's uh i'll be around and there's of course ways you can uh, stay uh, stay in touch get in touch uh, maybe on linkedin maybe some other ways maybe we'll meet one day in life in person uh and uh yeah best of luck to, to you for, for everything amazing growth amazing learnings in the future and uh, lots of love joy and peace is what i wish you in uh, this life and uh I can't wait for you to meet John and to see what kind of podcast host John is going to be for you in the future. Once again, thank you so much and I'll see you next time. Until then, happy analyzing. <laughs>